Hey everybody, welcome to the No Film School Podcast for the week of July 20th, 2023. I am here with Gigi Hawkins. Hello there. I'm Jason and Jason Hellerman. <laughs> How's it going? And I'm Charles Hain. I almost said I'm Jason Hellerman because I got so confused. <laughs> Someday. Uh, it was confusing. This week, SAG has joined the writers on strike, which is historic, hasn't happened together. A team strike since 1960. And we are going to be giving, a, first off, a brief TLDR about where we are on the strike because a lot of us are indie filmmakers. So maybe the strike isn't impacting us in the same way it is everybody else. And also a, a brief TLDR on the strike in case you are working in some aspect of the industry it's not affecting but you're still curious. And then we have a whole bunch of strike questions. So if you're literally like not at all interested in the strike, this is probably not the episode for you because we're going to be answering a lot of strike-related questions for a long time. That's this week on the No Film School Podcast. All right, up top, TLDR, Too Long Didn't Read. What is our brief summary on why... SAG joins the strike and why Fran Drescher the nanny is out there making references to the storming of Versailles, which like warmed my heart. I can dig in unless you guys want to kick off. Go for it, Charles. Okay, so the WGA are the strikingest of striking unions. I fucking love the WGA. They're the reason residuals exist. Why do residuals matter so much? So here's the thing. Everybody is striking about something called the minimum basic agreement, the MBA. The, the good MBA, as opposed to the Masters of Business Administration, which is, I'm not going to say, I'm just going to, I'm just <laughs> going to say that I don't like conversation, <laughs> different MBA, but the MBA we like, the minimum basic agreement refers to the minimum that you can get paid to do something in the entertainment industry. And the reason why it's so important is it's like less than 0.1 of 1% are out there getting more than the MBA, right? The people out there getting 20 million a movie are not really what this strike is about, although a lot of them are picketing and God bless them. But what it's really about is the minimum basic agreement, which is entertainment companies always have a lot of leverage when they're negotiating because everyone wants to do this so badly. Writers want to write, directors want to direct, actors want to act. And so the, they've everybody's banded together to get the minimum basic agreement, which is here's the floor of what you can get paid. Because if we don't do that, People will do this for less than that because they want to do it. They want the opportunity. We love to do this. So we've unionized so that we have this minimum basic agreement so we get what we need. And the WGA are always the people fighting goddamn hardest for the for a very strong thing. And a lot of their terms trickle out to other people. So a lot of times, I'm not going to say the other unions and guilds sort of draft behind the WGA, but a lot of the things that the WGA fights for, other people end up getting. And I like, God bless the WGA. And on top um, of that, Charles, the WGA, to quote you, fights strikes for everyone. Like the WGA sets strikes across all industries. Yeah. No, they are a very aggressive, powerful, they slap. I love them. <laughs> so the situation we are in right now is the WGA started striking, I think we're around day 70, 75, somewhere in that zone, over a bunch of changes that are happening. Now, AI is getting the most attention here, and AI deserves a lot of attention because everybody's worried about how AI is going to impact everything. But I think AI is getting a little overblown in all of these negotiations. It is one of many factors people are fighting on. And there's an old negotiation technique, which everybody knows, which is try and focus your enemy into as fewer fronts as possible. And so if I was the MPTP, I would be trying to make a big deal out of AI. 
AI, AI, AI. And then I would just give in on AI and say, I've given you what you want. Because frankly, I don't think that AI is going to be a big deal in the next three years for replacing writers. I don't think ChatGTB can write a full feature script yet. But I think the more we talk about AI, I think it gives less power. Because what you want to be negotiating on is as many fronts as you can possibly emotionally sustain. Because that is how you actually win these battles. It is very rare that you win battles by picking a single subject, which is why the old negotiating advice for freelancers, and we're always going to try and take this stuff the indie route, is, you know, you'll sometimes have clients who only want to negotiate on one thing. They're like, let's just negotiate on dollar value. And it's like, no, negotiate on dollar value and scope and days of shoot and deliveries. Negotiate on everything. It feels like more work, but it's how you get what you want. So AI is one pillar of the negotiations, but also they're trying to up rates. Because I don't know if anybody has noticed, but there's this been thing called inflation. And in the U.S., it's actually been relatively low. We're only at 3.4% compared to like Argentina or Eastern Europe, but we've still had it. And it's not a government policy fault. It is a supply chain shock from the pandemic fault, but it still exists and is real. And my grocery bills are much higher than they used to be. And so we need to raise rates to match inflation. And then this isn't the entertainment industry's fault. But the entertainment industry is mostly in New York and L.A. and North America, and those cities got expensive. And it's not the entertainment industry's fault. It is local government zoning and not building enough housing and asshole landlords. But those cities got expensive. That, LA thanks used for to be cheap. calling that out specifically, that it's not the entertainment industry's fault that these cities where it's based are so expensive. First off, New York was really cheap in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. <laughs> it only got expensive in the 90s. And when I moved to L.A. in 2000, it was cheap. I paid $5.25 a month in rent, and I lived on tacos and went to the beach all the Like, L.A. was cheap until very recently. Mm-hmm. And so we need our agreements to cover enough to live in the cities where entertainment is. Now, if entertainment's willing to say, all right, all of the studio heads, we are all moving to St. Louis. All the studios are moving there. All the casting is moving there. All the development, everybody's moving there. And everybody can own a townhouse for $100,000. Then it would be a different animal. But entertainment's not going to pick up and move. And it's not the workers' fault the city got expensive or the studio's fault. It just happened. But the studios have to pay for it because they have the money. So there's a lot of fronts that they're striking on. Now, the contracts sort of, there are three-year contracts. They come up in order. The first one up was WGA, and then DGA was up in mid-June, and SAG was up in late June, and extended to July 12th. And DGA signed. And I'm not going to mock the DGA too hard for this because I, I have a lot of good friends in DGA and I'm a director and I love the DGA and everything the DGA has done. But like, guys, the WGA was already on strike. You signing, like the argument that was made at the time is like, we'll get back to work faster. But it's like, what? how are you going to get back to work faster without the writers? If the writers aren't willing to sign, like, what are you doing? Come on, DGA. Come on. The DGA is the least strikingest of our unions. They've only been on strike in their history once for five minutes in 1986. <laughs> five minutes. Literally? It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not their thing. It's not their bag. They're they're not the strikingest. It's complicated because d- directors are also sort of management. Yeah. And it's also, you know? I mean, it's not all directors in the director's union, right? It's you have UPMs, you have ADs. Like, you're servicing a lot of different people in Hollywood who matter and i'll say like you know when you go through those deals it is hard to be like oh well if the ad's got everything they needed or the upm's got everything they needed then and feature and tv directors only make up a small part of that union you know you're never gonna you're never gonna stop or go on strike because the interests are divided within that i mean it's it's what makes the dga such a fun and complicated union in hollywood it just represents so many different people than just directors Mm -hmm. they're also their incentives are much different like 
actors and writers have always gotten a much more like robust residual package. And residuals are are how these actors make their living, right? Like when we're talking about residuals, I think a lot of people who don't work in the industry think like you're still getting checks for work you did 10 years ago. And it's like, well, yeah, but the work you did 10 years ago didn't actually pay you enough to live at the time. And like you regularly, it's feast or famine and these freelance jobs where like you might be on a TV show for three years and then not, might not work that next year while you're trying to get another TV show made. And that's how those residual checks all combine together and pays into the health and retirement funds. So you need those. And the reason why our industry is built like that is because people monetize TV shows forever. Friends is still making money from the 90s, yeah. right? The, the, the office is some, like, Yeah. And so because they still monetize those, the creators should still get part of that. DGA has different incentives, which is why I'm not going to dunk on them too hard for not striking. I wish they were striking as well. It would be a little more powerful. But other than directors, most of the other people in the guild, assistant directors and a lot of the other people, don't are not involved in the residual pool at all. They get paid what they get paid. They get paid a big upfront thing. So the residual fight is not as important to them. The AI fight isn't as important to them. Like, my God, I cannot imagine AI doing what Nady does. Like, can you imagine ChatGPT in the field on set managing to get 150 people to line up the shots on time and make their day? AI David is Fincher, you have way. done too many takes. We need to move on for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn it yeah, off. Fin- yeah, he just yeah. closes his laptop and keeps Turns going. the volume down. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also like once it's a robot, there's no reason you can't punch it. Yeah, like, exactly. I've never wanted to punch a first AD. I'm not a punchy guy. But like, oh, my God, it, if it's a robot telling me that I don't get another take, I just push it in the river. Like, I am guilty of, uh, you know, those those uh, I guess they're like the DoorDash robots, the Uber robots that drive around yes. L.A. And I am guilty of knocking them over. <gasps> I, Jason. I know. I just Jason. But it, it is what Charles said. It's like I would never do it to a person on a bike or whatever. But it's just something about this robot driving down Melrose. I'm just like, get out of my way. But maybe you pushed like, it over? Wait a, minute. Wait a minute. I haven't been to LA since the pandemic. You have robots delivering your food now? Yeah, yes. they're like tiny the little coolers with wheels. And they're very cute. I anthropomorphize them. No way. And this it's is like real? Wally's this is enemy. happening now? Yeah. Like regularly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Up and down the street. Not in Silver Lake. Not in Silver Lake, but. But, in, but yeah, any, so that's never going to happen in New York. Yes. That will never happen in New York City. <laughs> hey, they I tried to know. launch those Let's birds. Let's come back stu- three years from now. I bet it'll be in New York. Yeah, bookmark. Them. No, so they tried to launch. We don't have those scooters either that all the other cities have. Uh, and you know why we don't have those scooters is every company that tries to launch the scooters, they all end up in the East River within a week. <laughs> all the scooters. Like people literally just pull a Jason Hellerman and they pick that scooter up and they chuck it in the river. Oh yeah. my god! Because they're you know like, no, we're a, not going to have, have the, like, with those scooters too. I'm always banging my ankles in them when I'm walking the dog at night because they're black. You can't see them at night. They're just lying in, in sidewalks. You no, know, they should be safety orange. Askew. Yeah, exactly. They wow. should be safety orange. Yeah, yeah. I'm fully. Maybe it's just my late 30s talking, but I everything should be painted safety orange. Welcome to it, man. I'm with you. I had no idea you guys had robots in L.A. Uh, yeah. I really it's, need to do a trip to L.A. The first time you see future. it, it is shocking. And then now it's like kind of annoying. Banal. Yeah, annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Regardless, the DGA has different incentives. So I respect why they didn't strike. But man, they could have also been standing in solidarity because they are also still not working because of the strike. So the update now is. AMTPT, AMPTP, who are representing the studios and SAG, were unable to reach an agreement by July 12th. And then, and if you haven't heard about this, I mean, we'll give you a quick update, but maybe you guys aren't on Twitter as much as I am, so you haven't heard about it. In in the weirdest PR move ever, 
a bunch of studio people leaked a bunch of quotes to Deadline. And remember, Deadline is dependent upon studio, like Deadline, Variety, they all are very in tight relationships with the studios. So they don't tend to say things studios don't want them to say. Yeah, if we weren't going we just... to guard our words, I would call them studio shills. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that they, uh, they're they not quite, like, yeah, knowing might actual be. studio yeah. shills, yeah. knowing yeah. actual studio shills who are like PR flex for studios, yeah. like, the the trade press will once once the animal is clearly dying, they will abandon an animal. Like once yeah. a production is truly troubled, they will totally go to town on that troubled production because well, it gives clicks. them the appearance of like yeah. what clicks. It gives them the yeah, clicks, clicks they need, right? But yeah. So they're not quite shills. Like no true studio shill will like write all of the articles they wrote about Apocalypse Now as it was going down. But they're really like they're tied to the studios, and they wrote this like anonymously sourced interview with all these quotes from studio executives, which just, I don't know if it was meant to intimidate people. I don't know what the fuck it was supposed yeah. to do, but it was wild. And at one point, I mean, the quote everybody has heard is, we're going to hold this strike until people start to lose their apartments and lose their homes, and then they're going to come back around. And it's, first off, fuck off. Secondly, it led to Ron Perlman threatening to burn someone's house down, yeah, which is like... Intense. We need more of that. But also, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, simultaneously, everyone was ganging up on Ron Perlman about it. And I was like, no, they threatened to evict people from their houses and he threatened to burn their house down. It's about equal. It, like, it's it about like, this is like, this is, this is how this goes, guys. But also the thing is that it thoroughly backfired because I think one of the things people don't appreciate, I and I talk about this a lot, is like you get people, I talk about this a lot with like Dove Charney and American Apparel. And everyone, when Dove Charney lost American Apparel, everyone's like, why did you open so many stores? And beyond him being like a horrible pervert and a skeeve, he started American Apparel in 2001 and he had like seven years of like wild growth where every store he opened was more profitable. So why not open more stores? He had never had a moment where he'd opened a store and it wasn't more profitable. And then 2008 happened and it collapsed and he lost the company. And now they're. And now he created Los Angeles Apparel, which is literally the same thing with the same yeah. look and aesthetic. And I'm like, how is this and a thing? There's same a great weird perviness. There's a great season of startup that covers this exactly. And yeah. he is crazy person. I think he still lives in that weird cement house you can see on top of the hill near in between Silver Lake and Echo Park that oh. whenever you're driving and you're like, what is that weird cement house? I think that weird cement house is his. That's it was funny. a cement house built in the 20s by a guy who lost a house in a fire so he built a house out of cement and it's like up there on the hilltop. I, think I know that's the house. Per, he might, Perlman yeah. proof. I, I yeah. can't Perlman if you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't think Regardless, Ron Perlman has a sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the studio executives literally don't understand how little money all the actors and the writers already make. So I think that to them, they're like, we will starve them out until they lose their houses as a threat. Whereas in reality, every writer and actor I know has like nine types of income and has like a dozen side hustles and are already always teetering on the ability to lose their house or their apartment. So it's like, it's more just like fuck off than it is like an actual threat. Because either you're a super rich, very successful writer and you're not going to lose your house even if you don't work for two years, or you're everybody else. And like the amazing thing for me is the outpouring of the number of people who've just been like so upfront and honest on Twitter in the last week that they're like, and it's like a real bracing honesty moment where so many people are coming out of the woodwork and they're like, oh my God, I was afraid and ashamed to talk about this until y'all did. But like, I was a writer on this show for two years and I'm back in food service and like, or like I have an agent, I have managers, they're great people. And I will not quit my food service job because I'm not making enough money pitching these shows and I've sold yeah. two pilots and mm -hmm. yet I'm still working at this bar and I won't, and I haven't quit it. So like, 
it's just been amazing to watch all of these people come out of the woodwork and honestly talk about how bad it is with what people are getting paid right now. Because like these rates have not gone up anywhere near enough to cover cost of living, to cover inflation. And the, it is, we all do this because we want to do it so badly. And you're not going to push us out of that. It's by, distorted by the glamour of it all. That's It is wildly distorted. Yeah, Gigi and I have been talking about doing sort of podcast around the history of film labor, and we we're going to call it distorted by glamour because it is. It changes all of the dynamics of all of these negotiations. Yeah. Well, and shout out to really uh, seeing- people like Drew Carey who are buying everybody lunch for the duration of the strike and dinner. You know, I think like I, I saw another thing like, you know, No Films was going to an article on things you can donate donate to for people that are in need during this time. But there is like, yeah, the food instability, all this stuff. Like it's been nice to see both unions come together and find solutions, but it is, it's disheartening. Yeah. And we're getting a lot of great solidarity out of the directors. Chris Nolan has been saying like, I'm not going to develop a project until the strike is done. Like, even though we're not on strike, like there are things that people could be doing and they're very being very public and pointing attention. And all of the actors left the premiere of Oppenheimer because it coincided with the strike time. So SAG just announced today that they are going to consider. So even if you're not already in SAG or WGA, if you aspire to be someday crossing the picket lines now and doing work that they consider scabbing will prevent you from joining in the future. Mm-hmm. So like if if someone gets in touch with you right now and is like, hey, can we start development on a show? And then once the strike is over, we can do it. You shouldn't be developing a show with those executives. And, and even if you're not in the WGA yet, if you're found out to have done it, you won't be able to join later, which will hinder your career. And SAG announced this morning, I think, that they're gonna that they consider cosplay in support of marketing for film projects to be scabbing. Hmm. Which means Comic Con, which right. is next week. Yeah. Wow. Don't don't cosplay in a costume of a project that's coming out now. Can you do your Howard the Duck outfit? Yes. No one is bringing Howard the Duck back. There's not any future revenue in Howard the Duck, as far as I can tell. But anything that is something that's a hot where take, there's Charles, a, there, there I mean, could be. <laughs> maybe uh, you I do bring up Howard the Duck enough? at least at least once <laughs> every three months. He's in Guardians Three. What do you want from him? You know. <laughs> oh, he is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember if that's. Oh, well, then no. You then can't actually, do your he's Howard up. the Duck. He's, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Howard the Duck art cosplay. Like, I don't. Maybe Scud, the, the self destructing assassin. Maybe that's the only safe cosplay. <laughs> Everyone wears a Scud outfit. But yeah, nothing that's currently being promoted. You're, you're, you're So if you're an aspiring actor and you're like, someday I would like to be in SAG and be in big movies, you shouldn't be cosplaying at Comic Con this year. That is such an important takeaway. And I have a ton of other questions from our listeners that are based on what action should people be taking or not taking. So should I dive in or is there anything else? Yeah, need to cover I think it's Q&A TLDR? time. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so this comes from someone who doesn't work in the film industry. You answered their first question of, can you give me a TLDR on what's going on? But the second is, will canceling subscription services actually help slash do something? And I want to add one other layer to this that I just found a couple minutes ago from Rich Tallarico, who's a, you know, Key and Peele, Mad TV, SNL, writer, SAG candidate for the WGA West, and he posted about a entertainment abstinence campaign taking place September 1 through October 1, a month-long pause or reduction in TV and film consumption and solidarity with the creative artists and staff who bring those shows and films to life. So, So I don't know if this is a 
thing that is happening. But I have had a lot of people reaching out. Should I cancel my Netflix account? My my answer is no. I just the Netflix is right now. I think the biggest entertainment company in the world. It's evaluated at over two hundred billion, which is forty billion more than Disney, and growing every day. So the thing is, what happens when you cancel subscriptions? It's not like like the bus boycotts of old. You know, Netflix is so big that we would need people across the globe to do it for to feel any sort of ripple. And I don't th- I think that like in a very nice way, like we, w- we wouldn't get enough people for it to matter. And what they would probably do is if they actually saw a major drop in numbers, they'd use that as an excuse to just not give unions what they need. Right. They'd be like, ah, look, sorry, mm-hmm. writers, sorry, actors, we can't afford to look at this giant drop in numbers we have. Or if there's no drop at all, you know, let's say we all try and fail. The downside of that becomes them holding out for even longer. You know, it's like, hey, we have no dip. Well, you know, we can keep this going. For those of you who don't know, May 1st, when the WGA went on strike, we still haven't talked to the AMPTP. They haven't come back to the table. We've been waiting to negotiate with them. And they also haven't come back to the table with the actors. Obviously, that was just a few days ago. But they said that there's, they're going to wait and have a cooling off period. And they'll let us know when they want to talk again. So obviously they haven't talked to us for around 80 days, closing in on 90 days. So it's like, I think giving them any more fuel to their fire to continue to hold out to not talk to us, in my mind, gives them an advantage. And I I just don't think there's enough global groundswell support to make a difference. And if we did make a difference, I think the pockets it would come out of would be the creatives who would stand to make residuals on that stuff anyway. I'm going to agree with Jason here. I think boycotts are most effective when they are highly coordinated, specifically targeted efforts that have massive amounts of organization going on to make them happen and a marketing effort and tie-ins and everything. And so like, I'm not going to say boycotts are done as a tool because certainly boycotts are a useful tool from time to time, depending Mm -hmm. on what you're doing. But there's this big thing that started happening in the 90s and 2000s where you started hearing like, your dollar is your vote, your dollar is your vote. And like, sure, in a very small way, your dollar is your vote. And I try and avoid spend, you know, there's still some companies where like, because of sweatshop campaigns 20 years ago, I can't bring myself to buy something from them because I'm like, well, yeah, but they did switch up stuff. And so I can't, but the more important thing is that that, that campaign is always about neutering your value. Whereas like we have much bigger tools at our disposal. We have much bigger hands we can play. And so like, yes, your dollar is your vote, but also like directly contributing to union strike funds, getting out there and supporting physically on a picket line. If your city is having picketing, trying to explain actively to the people in your life, why this is happening and what's going on and why this is you know, like you'll see even mainstream press articles talk about like the impact of the strike and what it's going to, how it's going to affect, you know, your TV schedule this fall. And they frame it as if it's the fault of the people striking as opposed to the fault of the studios that are not negotiating in mm-hmm. good faith. Yeah. So it it is one of those things that those things are all like our dollar is one of our many votes. Can you individually get some satisfaction by being like, I'm not going to give money to this person for a while? Sure. If you have a child. Good luck explaining to your child yeah. why all of a the sudden their favorite TV show that is yeah. only on one of those streamers is no longer available. Yeah. Sorry, By the way, if anyone anymore. knows where that... Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, my God. If anybody way. knows where Bing went, there was this amazing TV show called Bing. There was one season. He had a very friendly rabbit. It is gone. I can't find it anywhere. Please hit me. This oh is Ask gosh. the Audience. Where the Where is Bing? Where's Bring Bing? it back. And if, if Microsoft killed it because of competition with their search engine, I will never forgive them. <laughs> wow. I cannot stress Mark enough. Mark Rylance Charles, was in it. It is personal. Yeah, what well, he said, Charles, I think is true. 
if you want to come out and do, like come out to the lines, you know, there are pickets in almost every major city. I was just in Boston over the weekend. There's pickets there. There's I was in Philadelphia the week before. I've been gone for a while. <laughs> there are pickets there. <laughs> There's pickets in Atlanta. You know, if you can get to a city, please come out. If you're in and around Los Angeles or New York, they're, at, you know, at Rockefeller Center. They're at every major studio here. Come out. You would be welcome with open arms. Right before I left when I was at Fox, where, where I'm all the time, please come up and say hello. Anyway, uh, a family showed up and they were on vacation and came to pick it for the morning. Aww. And I thought that was awesome. And they just were film and TV fans. And they were like, we really love writers. And like, you gave us our best shows. And we, I like, the dad was very cool and the mom. And they were like, we just wanted to show our kids that like, these are the people that do it. And I'll get choked wow. up now thinking about it. Like, it was amazing yeah. to see those people out there. My friend's in-laws are in town this weekend and he's bringing them. So, you know, I can't wait to embarrass him out there and do it. So, like, if you're <laughs> if you're in a city where there's picketing, please come out. We we love it. Bring donuts. Bring yourself. Do anything you want. You know, we're happy to have you. And like I said, we're working on an article now on NoFilmSchool.com just about strike funds, about where you can donate mm-hmm. if you choose to do it monetarily. But, you know, money's not always the answer. And I think boycotts and stuff like that, you know, like Charles said, they do work sometimes in the past. There is amazing things. But right now we just we need your body and we need your voices. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. I, I like how actionable this is. I think it's very easy to feel like you're helping by reposting something on social media, especially if you're outside of the industry or outside of LA, but like these tangible things that you can do, they, it really comes down to supporting the people who are on the picket line so they can physically be there. And I like how old fashioned this is. It feels very, there's there's something about it that feels like we can actually tangibly hang on to it. And the context that both Jason, you provide as part of the WGA and Charles that you provide as somebody who has just this very deep knowledge of organization and labor and unions. I think that this is really helpful that we're getting it out here. Now, I'm going to move into another question. And again, this is in the context of also SAG striking. Is this an opportunity for smaller production companies, not anyone associated with any major studios, to to disrupt the production and distribution models. What could that look like while protecting writers, actors, and other filmmakers from the threats of AI and more? The waivers. So there's a lot to talk about here. What what you're specifically talking about is waivers. SAG has announced that they are going to give waivers to independently produced productions that are in no way associated with the AMPTP. Now, this has actually been pretty controversial. There are some people I really respect who are against this. There are some people I really respect who I love a lot, who are like, no, we should not be giving waivers because with waivers, you're not choking off the pipeline. And what we've got to be doing right now is we've got to choke off the pipeline. We've got to make sure there is no content for anyone to buy. And those independent productions, they're going to want to get bought by the studios. And if the studios can buy them, it's not going to chalk, choke it off. I see their argument and I respectfully disagree. Having worked on a tremendous number of $2 million, $1 million, $650,000 movies in my 25 years in this industry, this is not the pipeline that the studios are trying to fill. One of them might be amazing. One mm-hmm. of these movies that are going to get made in the next six months might be something that fulfills the studio's need for huge chunks of eyeballs. And in horror, there is some argument that this will be able to fill some of the horror needs of the studios because there is like a tradition of low budget horror that is interesting that can fill some of those needs. And I think horror is the area where I'm closest to seeing the argument. The mm-hmm. flip side of it for me is, the, the the employers in this case, the, the managers, the bosses, the studios in this case, are a dentist in Savannah, Georgia, who wants to spend $600,000 financing a film so their kid can star in it. And I don't think that that 
dentist with discretionary income who got four of their dentist friends to chip in to pay for a movie is the same thing as a studio. And I don't think, I don't personally view that as conflict. And I respect that SAG is giving those waivers because it's going to let people work. It's going to actually, probably there's going to be some movies made that wouldn't be made otherwise. And I, and the other thing is that in my experience, independent movies on average, like studios are going to be looking to start filling their pipe again this fall. The thing we forget when we work in indies for a long time is our post pipeline is very long in indies. The fastest I've ever seen an indie feature go from production to finish is like nine, 10 months. And that's the one I did because I owned a post house at the time and I Mm -hmm. can hold it under my thumb. But like (laughs) your typical indie feature takes two years after they shoot to finish your average, like even the low budget ones, they're just, It's hard to do. And the studio pipeline is really fast. There's studio movies because they throw people at it. You know, there's studio movies that like six months after they are done shooting, they're in theaters because, and they were doing pickups the whole time because they've got like the manpower to throw at it or human power, whatever we're going to call that mule power. And so I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about this filling the pipeline, to be honest. I'm not worried about this, like distorting the negotiation. And I think Mm -hmm. it's an interesting way to get more work out there. So I'm not against it, but I think you just have to be careful. The The one danger I do see is shadow puppeting, like people, AMP, uh, TP producers, yeah. like finding a way to finance little secret yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, I've got foreign mad money. I've got, you know, whatever. Saudi Arabia is ready to invest in an action movie, and I'm doing it outside the studios, but it's really, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't, I mean, that seems so, like that. that kind of conspiracy seems so likely to get caught that I, I just can't imagine, you know, like I, I have friends in the union and they're really good at tracking down union production. They're really good at finding it. <laughs> like They're really good at being like, ah, oh, this is clearly a production that should be union. And it's not, I can't imagine somebody showing up with like, I got $27 million. Let's do that. Also those productions will happen. Not in the States. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. they'll just shoot that in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or well, Croatia or any of these other like <laughs> Eastern European hubs. Bulgaria. Yeah. The kickbacks, yeah. Well, I mean, Canada, Winnipeg, you know, the, or, or Great Britain with artists equity. You know, there's a lot of different yeah, places for that. We had a question about indie films in the $2 million budget range, and, I, and specifically from a cinematographer. Can we work on them and not be scabbing? So it's not exactly scabbing for me since it's my future union isn't on isn't striking, but in order to support in solidarity, I guess. Also, more specifically, any info on lower budget production, short film, SAG agreements, et cetera. What can we work on basically? I think the answer to this is waivers. Yes. Same answer. We had another question following the same thing about packaging. If we're an indie production in the packaging phase, can we still approach actors to potentially attach them? Do we need an interim agreement if, even if we aren't financed? So this is sort of a diving into that specifically. I have thoughts on this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I do so, think. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, go ahead. No, just murky um, if you don't have financing yet. But yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah, murky if you don't have financing yet. Though sometimes having talent attached is what drives financing. I think if it is a truly independent made outside of the studio system and you approach talent with the explanation of this is going to be a waiver-based project, I think actually you may want to work with SAG to get the waiver first before you approach talent. And I got a thumbs up from Jason Hellerman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the the best way to do it. I think... It's, it's difficult, right? Let, let's say you have a smaller budget romantic comedy 
and you're very excited about it and you're going to make it for whatever, $250,000 and you're looking for financing. Well, Jennifer Lawrence is off work now and loves your script and wants to do it. Great. But the financiers who might come in might have their eyes set on then selling it back to the studios or, you know, or doing it for a bigger budget or, you know, let's, Hey, let's rope in Amazon or someone, you know, like let's pull in a foreign financier. And, you know, then you find out it's a subsidiary of someone else. So like, you know, checks and balances matter there. Yeah, exactly. Like you want to work with SAG on this. And I honestly think SAG at this point would be very happy to work with you, secure those waivers and to make sure everything stays above board. We have an article published on a film school right now based on comments Mark Ruffalo said yesterday at the strike where he basically was like, this is the time to find alternative projects to Hollywood. And his big push was for SAG people to embrace the waivers, go do independent film, you know, just because so many people have turned their back on it or thought they graduated from it, not gone back. I think this is a great time for diverse stories and diverse people to break in and do different things. But yeah, I, I would always do it in union with the unions just because a it'll be easier and b i think it'll be better for you in the long run to market you know you're marketing an idea hey we made this outside the system during the strike fairly you know and uh, a point that ruffalo put out which i think is actually pretty smart is do it with like a creative artist share so if everyone's profit sharing in the thing you know everyone stands to make money maybe you get better talent or you get more experienced people and i would encourage our cinematographer friend who wrote in to look for those projects and do that but i also say if your union's on strike and you have something that's shooting and you need to make money, go for it. You know, I, I, I think like ideally or th- theoretically, whatever shooting that he's working on now, if it's still shooting, is probably shooting somewhere else, you know, where SAG isn't involved or it's in Canada or something like that. And if it's a scab thing, you know, your reps will be able to tell you and talk to you about that. You know, I would talk to them first and make sure you're above board and talk to your own union, you know, talk to that and say like, what are we doing about this? How's this going? You never get in trouble for asking questions. You just get in trouble if you find out the right answer and do the wrong thing anyway, you know? Yeah. Well, so just to add on that, a couple of other things. One, there's no shame in asking, like if, if you're being hired by new producers, like a lot of the time DPs, they work with the same producers over and over, but let's say these are new producers who are doing this thing. You can ask to see the waiver paperwork. And a a reasonable producer will happily share a copy with anything redacted that's private. And if they seem offended by you asking for the waiver paperwork, then you know a lot more about this production, which is always a good thing when you're going through the process of evaluating the production. So that's really good. I do want to put one little damper on things here. I love all of the momentum of this energy that we're all talking about. I do want to say that one thing that I suspect is going to happen is the reverse of what we're hoping. I I always tell this anecdote that I used to, every year when I was working DP, I always used to book jobs during NAB and Cinegear, and I could never figure out why, but like all of my friends were going to NAB and Cinegear, and and I, I, but I was always booking a job, so Mm. I never went. And then eventually I realized that the people like three or four steps up from me were all not available. And so I got to do these bigger jobs because they weren't available. And on the converse, you know, I, I got better jobs during the TV season than I got during the summer because during the TV season, a lot of those people were on TV and then I was competing with them o- under the summer. So even though IATSE is not on strike with SAG on strike, IATSE is functionally out of work. And so I think you will see some DPs that would normally be on a TV show this fall shooting $2 million features. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're already the DP who's in the $2 million feature space, you might not be able to book a $2 million feature this fall because those DPs who would normally book the $2 million feature normally be on an, a season of TV are now willing to do a $2 million feature they would not do during normal time. So I, I think that there's opportunities, but also drawbacks to how this is going to shake out. And I think the same thing is going to happen with bigger tier actors. Mm-hmm. I think if you are excited that you're like, holy fuck, I'm going to be able to get J-Law to be in my <laughs> rom-com, 
the reality of the situation is that those big actors, their schedules are big, complicated, moving pieces that have teams of people organizing their calendar. And they are going to be less likely to commit any, like when J-Law's maybe a bad example, but like Gosling, like, you know, Baby Goose. When Baby Goose is in an indie movie, it is because like the schedule for the next two years has been done. And there is a six week gap between the end of one giant movie and the beginning of another giant movie where an indie feature could happen. And then he does an indie feature in that time. And if the first feature keeps going longer, the indie feature just cancels or moves a year later or yeah. whatever to the next gap. You're not going to see big A-listers like the Baby Goose or the Butterscotch Stallion commit to Who's indie the projects. the Butterscotch Stallion? Oh, Owen Wilson, Butterscotch oh. Stallion. Oh my um, gosh. And because their schedule right now, every rep in town is running countless scenarios of what will happen when things restart. And they all got really good at those scenarios during summer of 2020, when in May and June of 2020, they were all like, okay, we've agreed to this project, we've agreed to that project. All right, mm-hmm. if things restart in August, we'll do this. If things restart in September, we'll do this. They were all gaming it out, and they've gotten really good at it. And they're, everyone right now is gaming out like, okay, well, let's say they wrap late August. So by September, this one will be back in production. And then, and it's a big cal- calendar mosaic. And so my suspicion is that if Baby Goose loves your script, Baby Goose is going to say, I actually can't commit right now because there's three other projects I'm contractually obligated to. And when the strike is done, they're all going to restart immediately. And that's a complicated mosaic. So I'm not saying and don't wait. Make an I'd offer say to- wait for Baby Goose to be in your indie film. Or find a young up and comer who's just coming off a deep. Like, I love Baby Goose. One of the best working actors today. Me I cannot too. wait to see Barbie. But. Me it's too. going for that A-lister is harder in these shuffly times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some people have a fantasy that it's easier in these shuffly times, but the reality is the normal times where the calendar is set and then there's like a three week gap you can try and stick it into is the easier time to get the big people when it is up in the air like this. Like we don't see a lot of other than that one from Sam Levinson. We don't see a lot of A-listers doing indie movies in fall of 2020. Yeah, because everybody was sitting waiting for normal stuff to restart. The Sam Levinson one is the only one I can think of. And that actually probably related to Zendaya already being under contract for the show that Sam Levinson ran. Yeah. And and so, you know, one location shoot, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But short of that, 2020 wasn't like a whole host of a bunch of A-listers being able to be in things. Because everybody's waiting, like everyone is gaming out how it restarts right now. Because that's like all they have time to do. And so it's it's a tricky time. I love the idea that someone will get a J-Law, Baby Goose, rom-com together this fall. But unless both of them and their reps are on board, tricky. Yeah, if the I strike ho- lasts that long, we're we're in big trouble too, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah. we're at least looking at September. Sure. I mean, I don't know if we're going to do a betting pool. But I think we're looking at like a restart probably is October. I do think that we will see this golden indie surge afterwards without named talent. But we're going to see a lot of amazing films coming out of this. And there will probably be a name for it this time period. Do we want to try to coin it now on the podcast? I don't know. But the anti-AI indie movement. That's a bit of a mouthful. Let's go to a question. We actually got a couple of these, so it, I think it's very important to our our listeners. What advice do you have for a film student or someone who's just about to graduate? 
who are feeling nervous about their future careers in the industry because of the strike. You're welcome. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> this Everything we do now is for you. You know, if you're in school right yeah. now, like you should be excited that this is happening now because the equitable portion of what we're doing is going to come to you when you get out here and do this. But let's not mince words. This is the industry and it's always been the industry. You know, if you're worried about work stoppages or the, you know, future strikes or just the way it is, it's always been this way. And, you know, I think in film school, you tend to have these rose colored glasses of I'll break in, I'll get an agent, I'll start working. What actually happens over the course of your career is you'll get one job, then you'll go six months without another one, then you'll go a year without another one, and you'll sort of build piecemeal on the way in. And, you know, if you're lucky, you'll be out on the picket line striking to make it better for yourself. You know, I think like it it can be a nerve wracking time. It can be scary to see that's the way Hollywood works. But I think, you know, there is maybe the blessing disguise. You're seeing how Hollywood works. You're seeing what the, the future could hold for you. And I think it's like if you don't love it, you know, say something about it. But also, like, it might not be for you. I think a lot of people I went to film school with came out here and worked in this industry, and I'm the only one left that I know from both grad school and from undergrad. Undergrad. I have one, I have. I know one other person from undergrad that's still out here doing this job. So, like, I. it is hard. It is absolutely brutal, you know? And I, I think it, it is a tough time, but it's also, like, what we're doing is for you to make it better. And I know that the people that suffered during the 0708 strike did so so that my life could be better when I started out here, Mm. you know, and I'm already looking at changes that affected me early on, like Shovel Buddies, my movie was classified as new media and I didn't get into the WGA because of it. But we're fixing that now. We fixed it in prior negotiations, you know, like little things, these incremental things that are making it better for other people. And, you know, I would just say, like, this is the way it is, you know, and embrace it, read as much as you can, learn as much as you can, take a field trip out here, get on some picket lines and, and learn about it. Because I think like once you step out there among people who love film and TV as much as you do, there there's an electricity that says this is all worth it. You know, like at least that's the way I feel. And if you don't feel that way, then I don't know. Maybe you don't want to be out here. The other thing I would say is strikes don't happen in industries where there isn't money, Right. Like we have all worked on a passion project where no one was making anything and it was fine. We have all like in variety of ways. I've volunteered a lot of places in my life where there was no money and the the executive, you know, where I used to volunteer at a place in LA that was like not industry related where the executive director was making like 48 grand a year. And I was happy to volunteer there. I was happy to give my stuff there. Strikes happen in an industry where there are profits, where money is there and labor says we need more of those to do what we do. There are profits in the film industry. People make a living in the film industry. There are jobs in the film industry and labor is banding together to say, this industry isn't done. We care about the future of the industry and we want to set it up properly to thrive way into the future. And we want to figure out the ways that things can keep being as good as they can possibly be for as long as they can possibly be. And so, yeah, it can be nerve wracking to graduate right into a strike. If you just graduated in May, it is probably pretty frustrating. But on the flip side, if you just graduated in May, you're probably not going to be like with some rare exceptions, writing on a WGA show this fall anyway. So it it is a complicated time to launch. But I also know, you know, I, I work at a film school and Christine Graduate School of Cinema. I'm the chair. Everybody should go here. It's great. We're the best film school on earth. And I, I had a lot of students graduate May of 2020. And I've been emailing with a lot of them and they're all working. Like people are in it. They're doing stuff like careers have launched. They're shooting movies. They're getting things made. They're getting in labs like they're doing the thing. So like. 
I had friends who graduated from film school in 2008 and stuck it out and still got things made. And let's remember, we had a big strike in 2008 and went on for a long time and it was complicated, but we got a lot of things out of it. And amazing creative work has been made in the last 15 years in the wake the of pass it. of that. Yeah, in the wake of it. And there, there will be amazing stuff made in the next 15 years in the wake of this strike. And hopefully the people who make that amazing work will make something from it. I think one of the biggest things that really came out of this strike for me is a real understanding of how little everyone made on Orange is the New Black. So there were two big shows that kicked off the streaming revolution because you got to remember what we talk about is streaming. Like, yes, you could watch South Park and 30 Rock online in 2006, 2007, but it wasn't streaming really kicked off in the sense that we think of it like today with House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, Netflix shows, 2009, 2010, House of Cards, David Fincher, brought a lot of very traditional film-style pay, big stars were getting money, people... The the money was not as terrible, from what I hear anecdotally from people. Orange is the Black, TV writer, not a feature person, created a show, became a hit show, but paid very much on a new media model. And reading some of the articles, and like a lot of the cast coming out from that show, which should have been like... That show was a huge hit and made people stars. And I still recognize them eight years later. And like how little they made originally and how little they made in residuals is ridiculous considering that that was one of the two shows that made Netflix and made Netflix into what it is now. And it's like we have to fix the way in which we remunerate people for streaming content. We just do. Okay, two more questions. I hope we can squeeze them in in the next 10 minutes. The first is, I'd like a list of all members of the AMPTP, struck companies. I have not been able to find this information online, only abridged lists. I emailed SAG about this too and am awaiting a response. I need to know what companies I can't audition for so I can stick to independent projects. So my initial reaction is it may be very difficult to get a comprehensive list. It feels like something that would be guarded. But I think the first thing you do in any of these conversations is confirm. You know, say you can put this in the footer of your email. I will not audition for these companies. Please confirm either way. Getting it in writing, I think, protects you. But what do you guys think? It's trickier with actors because so much of it is, it depends on if you're repped or if you're not repped, but assuming you're repped, you, the first conversation you want to have is a conversation with your reps where you're like, I want to be very clear. I'm not crossing any picket line. I only want to be considered for smaller things, but assuming you're not a repped actor, you're newer, you're just figuring it out. You're getting a lot of your additions from the online platforms. It like it, it will be trickier. Like you should totally put it in your email thing that you're not going to scab and whatnot, but it's harder to, it sounds like you want to save yourself the time of even submitting on those projects that are non-union. I mean, that are scabbing that obviously you want to save yourself the trouble of submitting on projects that are being produced at that level. And I think a little bit of it, like the, the first thing you should be doing is like a quick Google of the track record of all of the creative names that you see when you get that casting notice, like in breakdown services, you're seeing director and you're seeing casting director, director and production company and a quick Google for those three. Usually I think that's what's in the breakdown that you should see should give you a sense of their background and scale and whether or not this is likely to be a scab production. And then, yeah, just being upfront and asking and being like, I just want to make sure that this is the other thing I would say is that you know, you're an actor, you're trying to get all the work you can. I think it's totally okay 
Oh, shit, I actually don't know if it's totally okay. I was going to say, it's okay to not be too careful at the audition process and then just be really careful when you agree to the job. Hmm. But auditions are also labor. Yeah. And giving free and labor to... something on the table right now. Yeah, this one's tricky. It's a very tricky one. I, I agree. I wish there was a full list of the AMPTP online. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Also, it's complicated because a lot of times it's a small production company. Like Netflix doesn't produce every one of their shows in-house. A production company will take a show to Netflix, Netflix will finance it, and then the production company is independently producing it. So it might be a show financed by an AMPTP, even though the production company you're seeing on the breakdown is, you know, Heliotrope Boulevard or something. That's just a random street in LA I named off the top of my head. But like, it could still be Netflix money. So I think this is a really tricky one. I think maybe auditioning really has to slow down. If you find out from SAG, please let us know and we'll update on the podcast. I would always encourage if you're emailing these big places, WGA, SAG, whatever, ask a more specific question because they're very busy right now. So just saying like, can I have a yeah. list of all these companies? You know, I would say they probably put you in the back burner, you know, but if, if you were emailing SAG and saying, hey, I'm auditioning for XYZ pictures, is that a, is that, you know, one of the struck companies we shouldn't be working with? I, I would genuinely assume they would get back to you quicker on that. I know the WGA has a whole list on their website of struck companies. You can consult on that. I don't think there's that much overlap with SAG, but back and forth. And I would just agree with probably everything Charles said at that point. You know, like it's tricky with auditioning. That's why I would accept auditions if you couldn't find it. And then I would just email SAG specifically. Hey, I'm auditioning for this. Is this scabbing? You know, is this whatever? And I know we're in the generation of emails, but these com- these unions have phone lines. And you can talk to a human being and they will help you. I mean, the WGA has a lot of helpers. I've called in and talked to them. And even on strike, they're still working or there and there to answer questions. And, you know, I think what it goes back to ask, ask the question to get the answer, you know, and, and SAG does too, you know, call in. Don't, don't just email. Feel free to call that hotline and say, hey, I'm auditioning for this. Is this OK? And, you know, get an answer straight from the source. I, I think one thing we might want to consider is instead of thinking about it as who do I not want to audition for, think about it instead as who do we want to audition for? Like we should see, I mean, I imagine SAG will probably be publishing a list of waivers. Like there will probably be some resources on their website for finding out waivers or just make the decision for yourself that until the strike is over, you'll only audition for casting notices that specifically mention their waiver. Cause I'll yeah. tell you what, if I was working on an indie production right now and we were putting out a breakdown, we would be listing our waiver and I'm assuming everything gets a n- number with the unions. If we had a waiver number, I'm sure we'd list our waiver number affirmatively in the breakdown. I can't imagine I would send out a breakdown this week that didn't include. We have a waiver. I would be shocked. One. I'd be shocked to read anything that's because it's just signifying, Hey, we're looking for scabs and right. they would find you as, as you said earlier, like, there are people who are so good at finding these union products that should be union, they they will find the other one. So, so I would I would say let's not worry about who not to only audition if they are affirmatively sh- you know shouting I have a waiver. All right, that's it. The, well, there will be more strike questions next week. We will get our over under. I mean, no, it's actually sick to vote to bet on a <laughs> strike. I won't vote on a strike. I'm, my gut is still saying September, but you know, that's like, it's all a guess. Every once in a while I'm at like a barbecue and someone's like, when's the strike going to end? And I'm like, you know, it's like a day by day process where we don't actually know the future. Yeah. And like, I, I don't, I don't know any more than you do. My gut says September because 
that'll be a hundred something days. And that seems to be as long as these things tend to go. But like, honestly, it could go on longer. Also, just want to do a final shout out. If you're into supporting this, looks like UPS Teamsters are about to strike in the next two weeks. It might not happen, but it's looking really likely. We're about to be in an August where 500,000 people are on strike. So, you know, if you're wondering how to support and UPS does go on strike, you can also always go out and support your striking UPS drivers, especially because in August, those trucks get to be about 138 degrees, which is deadly. So air conditioning exists in trucks, but not UPS trucks. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, I just want to say solidarity forever. I'm on the internet. I keep saying I'm doing more YouTube shit and then I don't do it, but I'm doing more YouTube shit and then I'm not going to do it. And, you know, Mastodon, I went back to Twitter because of the sub, guys. The mm. sub brought me back to Twitter. And then Bill de Blasio announced he's in an open marriage. And I was like, oh, I got to go back to Twitter for that. Yeah, it's too And then <laughs> the strike the strike has kept me on Twitter. I'm weak. You're back. I'm weak. You're back. The, strikes, the strike stuff is what's keeping me on Twitter. Yeah. So when the strike is over, I will quit Twitter again, he says, <laughs> confident, hopeful. I'm at Lost in Graceland across all social media. I also want to shout out a, a nonprofit organization that I met with last week called Strong Asian Lead. The The founder has put together a members directory, an artist directory for sourcing teams from people for your team from the Asian filmmaking community. And also there's a list of free Asian American movies to watch. Just a gem of a resource. So we're going to put that in the show notes. And send us more questions. And also, No Film School is relaunching their website this week. So shout out to Jason and the rest of the team who's been working so hard to make this happen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, and I met Jason Ellerman across all social as well. Feel free to email me, jason at nofilmschool.com. Tell me if you like the new website. Give me article ideas. We're always looking. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where this all goes and happy to be here talking about the strike with you guys. And I know we'll have so much more to talk about when it's over as well. So AMPTP, if you're listening, come back to the table. Well, let's you seem like you've cooled table. off. Yeah, let's let's have a conversation, you know. Otherwise, we're sending Ron Perlman to your house and, you know, I won't be responsible. No, no, yeah. no, 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 we're not. We're not. <laughs> it's just property, guys. Yeah. <laughs>